Amen. It just never, you know, I listened to Pastor Jeff do the announcements that it's like, man, there's so much stuff going on. It's just, it's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of the idea of church is how can we make a difference in our community? Now we're in this sermon series and then the, the, the gist of it is, are we going the right way? And we're asking that question simply because uh, there comes a time in our lives, just like there did in John uh, the Baptist's life, even though he pointed out Jesus to all the people, Right before he got his head cut off, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, listen, uh, John wants to know, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? And so it's just an idea where, you know, sometimes it's okay for us to recalculate. Sometimes it's okay for us to back up and say, man, are we getting this right? I mean, you know, it's like, do we need to put the songs up there? Do we need to put the scripture up there? Do we need to hand out Jolly Ranchers when it's all done? Well, yes, on the last one, the other ones are up for discussion, okay? But I mean, all things said and done. You know, there's times when we say, hey, is our theology going the right way? Are we addressing the scripture? Because we want to be a church that says, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? And one of the things that I'm aware of is even when we come in conflict with our culture, the Bible doesn't say throw rocks at our culture. It says the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to come and enter freedom from sin and from the things that separate us from Jesus. So um, we're going to get into a story here that I really love, um, one that I preach, and I really like to get wound up and carried away when I preach this particular message. But I'm going to be honest with you, when I was studying this, this passage from the understanding that John writes the book of John with the purpose of getting you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And every time I read something, I ask myself, so why did John include this and what's it about? It changed my perspective a little bit. And it opened up my eyes to something else. And, and we're going to kind of get into that. Let me just share with you that, um, you know, the message today is, can you believe that? I'm going to share a story with you. John was there when it happened. But the question is, can you believe that? Okay, Jesus said in John chapter 5, Verily, or, or, Very truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. And then again last week from John chapter 4, And because, his word, excuse, because of his words, many more became believers. So the idea is that we believe. So today we look at a passage and I want to say, hey, can you believe that? Now, as I open up this passage, I want to share with you that it opens up with John telling us that Jesus is leaving uh, Galilee and he's headed to Jerusalem for the feast. He's headed up there for some sort of big festival that's going on. And so I began to think about that. And, and I'm just at the place of saying, let's, let's question everything. And so he's going and he's going up to a feast of the Jews, I believe, is what the scripture says. And it's like, he's going to a feast of the Jews. Well, I kind of know from Bible college days that the Jewish calendar is built on feasts and festivals. Okay, that's what dictates what's going on. And if you read the Old Testament, God says, now in this month, I want you to have this feast and this festival, and this is how you're supposed to do it. Okay? And so that's what it is. So I began to look at that. I don't know if you know it, but Passover for the Jewish um, community is April 2nd this year. I believe that's what I looked up, and I, I believe that's what it was saying is it's April 2nd, okay? So that's the Passover, and it's one of their big, big, big feasts. So in my head, I'm like, is he going up to, to the Passover? Um, the other feasts unfold like this. You have the feast of Passover, which is a day, and then you have the week 
of unleavened bread. Everybody's got to get the yeast out of the house. You've got to clean it out, go through the cab. It's kind of like just, you know how your grandma used to once a, uh, a year, she used to like open up all the windows, wash all the windows, sweep all the floors. Some of you, I mean, your granny put the furniture out on the front lawn and she cleaned house. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like that, but the purpose is to get the yeast out of it because it's a metaphor for sin in our lives. And then you have the Feast of Weeks, which we know is Pentecost. Some of you may not know that Pentecost existed before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Pentecost is, um, uh, is a celebration of 50 days. Pentecost means 50 days. 50 days after Israel left Egypt, and, and it's seven weeks of seven days plus one day. Okay, that's the way it's listed, seven weeks. It's the, it's the festival of weeks. And so 50 days after they left Egypt, Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Okay, so they celebrate Pentecost. And it just so happens that Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And then after Pentecost, you have the Feast of Trumpets, which begins their actual civil year, not their religious year. And then coming out of um, um, the Feast of Trumpets, you enter into the Ten Days of Awe, which are all leading up to the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, which is their highest holy day. The highest holy day of repentance is, is that day. And then we have the Feast of Booths, and that's to commemorate um, the, the passage through the 40 years in the wilderness. And so people will spend that week living in tents. They will go camping um, and uh, still have to do their jobs and things. And so um, that's pretty much what we've got. And so John is saying Jesus left Galilee to go to Jerusalem for one of the feasts of the Jews, one of those feasts. That's what he's going for. Didn't matter to me which one it was. I just wanted to be aware of what the feasts were, and they're there for you, and their calendar is built on those particular feasts. And so we have this, this story in John chapter 5 of this crippled man, and it is absolutely amazing. The story is amazing. This guy gets healed, and it's amazing. And I'm here to tell you that people still get healed today miraculously. They do. I don't know the ins and the outs of why it doesn't happen every time. I don't know why we can't just put somebody on the prayer team and anybody that they boop, you know what a boop is, boop, you know how you do that, okay? And anybody that they boop, why don't they get healed? It's like, Lord, we're full of your Holy Spirit. We believe what you said. We're doing the thing you told us to do, boop. Why can't we just go boop people in the name of Jesus? And I, and I don't know. I seriously and honestly don't know. I have to leave that to God. And so consequently, sure, in the spiritual realm, we have hucksters. You know what hucksters are? We have hucksters. We have people that are shaman. We have people that are using it for great gain. We have people that are saying whatever you want to, your itching ears want to hear so that you'll do whatever they want to do and you'll give money to it. That, I, I can't tell you. Okay? But I do know that God still heals because I saw it happen. Specifically, personally, I was right there, uh, unqualified. The nurses said this man was blind when he walked in. You people prayed for him, and he's telling you in, in Zimbabwe, Africa, that there's white people standing in front of him, could have known for our voices. So we stood real quietly, a couple of people together, and then we kept asking him how many, and we kept changing it, and he kept, and the nurse said, he's been coming in here off and on for the last year for help because he's like 80 years old, and he's stone cold blind, had his cane for what, she said, I'm telling you, the man can see. And it's like, wow, I've seen it happen. 
but I don't always understand why God does what he does when he does. And so bottom line is, let me just tell you a story before we get to the scripture that I want to share with you. Um, it'll be John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. But here's the deal. Jesus left Galilee to go to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. And as he's going down there, he gets into Jerusalem. He gets near the Temple Mount. And near the Temple Mount, there's a pool called Bethsaida or Bethesda, depending on you know which um, gospel you're reading and which language they're writing it in. But there's a pool. And it's, it's Solomon's colonnade, and there's colonnades around the pool. And it says, and here a great number of infirm people used to lie. Now, it's not saying that everybody was laying around just lying to each other like, well, I, my fish was that big. Well, my fish was that big. It's not lying, lying. It's laying down, lying. Like, hey, we should be lying on a beach down in Florida right now where it's 75 degrees instead of dealing with six inches of snow. I'm sick and tired of this. Thank you very much, okay? It's that kind of lying. Lying on the beach like you're on vacation, but this guy was not on vacation. Here's the deal. Jesus found out this guy had been in this condition for 38 years. That's the deal. 38 years, Jesus walks into the colonnade area, sees the pool, and there's people lying all around in some sort of infirm condition. And here's what they believe, that when the water gets um, troubled, when the water um, gets touched by an angel and begins to move, the first person into the water gets healed. That's what they believe. They actually believe that. Now, I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe you read that and you think, oh, these dumb, ignorant people from 2,000 years ago. Well, here's the problem. You don't believe that unless it's happened. See? That's why you believe it. There's, there's frescoes there in that were uncovered in the last 10 or 15 years that show the angel, you know, it's, it's all the little tiles and things on the ceiling showing the angel touching the water and, and in and about the same place as this pool was. But the long and the short of it is, this guy's lying there. He's been there for 38 years. He's on his mat. He's in the crowd. Jesus walks up. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He just knows it's a guy. The guy walks up, sees him lying there, and he says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I just have to say, and I've said it every time I preach this message, he never answers that question. I'm just telling you, if it was me and I'd been there 38 years, I'd look him in the eye and say, yeah, hello, I'm at the pool. I don't have anybody to chuck me over the crowd when the water, because that's where he goes. He immediately begins to say, oh, you don't understand. It can never happen for me. Nothing ever good goes in my life. I never get the promotion. I never get the job. I'm going to have to pay too much rent. Nobody loves me. Nobody will date me. Nobody will. We've got all the reasons. We have got all the, the excuse me, all the excuses. When Jesus says, hey, you want life to be different? First thing we say is, it'll never work. Let me just tell you why it won't. I'm just going to just, let me get my, my list out because I got a list in my pocket. Some of you probably do. You got a list in your pocket. I say, hey, how you doing? Oh, you don't understand. It's like, I don't. And I'm happy to sit with you. But I'm telling you, a question is being asked of you this morning. And that is, do you want to get well? And I'm looking at this because in the course of events, this guy goes through his thing. You know, people will tell you, you know why you didn't get healed? Because you didn't have enough faith, right? You didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough faith. And here's the deal. This guy didn't have any faith. None. He didn't say, Jesus, I believe. Just help my unbelief. He didn't say that. 
He said, oh, Lord, you don't understand. Let me explain to you why. And he didn't even know he's the Lord. He just said, let me explain to you why it's not going to work. You ever do that with your little kids, you know, where you take them by an arm and a leg, and, you know, you do this, one on each side, and you chuck them into the pool? And this guy's like, I got nobody to chuck me into the pool. Jesus was like, just get up. Just take your mat and get up and walk. It's that moment. It's that moment. That's what I want to talk to you about for a split second. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. When Jesus says, do you want to get well? And you're so busy telling him all the reasons it can't work. Making excuses so that you can live in your fear. You don't have to get outside of your comfort zone. You don't need to go pray for that person because Jesus, he wasn't really asking me to. And you go through all of that. And there's a moment there where Jesus says, act on it. And you have to decide, are you going to act on it or are you not going to act on it? And in that moment is what we refer to in the vineyard as the now and the not yet. It's like Jesus has come. I know the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is coming also And so I live in the now and the not yet. I live in the understanding the Holy Spirit is inside of us and the power of God is here, but I also recognize that Jesus is coming and all things will be made new. Okay, if you watch The Big Bang Theory, it's Schrodinger's cat. If you saw that episode, some of you did, at least one of you over there. Okay, Schrodinger's cat is a real thing. You take a a cat, you put him in a cardboard box, you seal it up, okay, and and tape it shut, get all, and then throw it in the river, and no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Cat lovers, don't do that. I'm just saying, okay, we're dog people at my house, all right? Um, But you put the cat in the box, you close the lid, and you put your hand on it, and in that moment, the cat is both dead and alive. It's both dead and alive. You decide. You say, well, Pastor Joe, is a cat dead? Yes. Well, Pastor Joe, is a cat alive? Yes. Because you have not seen it. You have to open it up and look at the cat and see which one it is at that time. When you do, then you'll know which one it is. But until then, it's Schrodinger's cat. It's both dead and alive because you haven't seen it yet. So you can say, yes, it's dead. And you can say, no, it's alive. And that's where we are here. Do you want to get well? And it's that kind of an answer. It's like, do you want to get well? You don't understand. He is both healed and and not healed in the moment that Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. He is both healed and not healed. Because he's either going to act on it and lay there, or he's going to act on it and he's going to get up. And too many times we live our lives in that very tiny moment. We live right there. And this, this man's whole life was changed just inside that little tiny moment. In that little tiny moment, when he stood up and picked up his mat, now he has to get a job. So now he's in another Schrodinger moment. Is his life good or is life bad? Because he's got 38 years of experience of laying on a mat, begging for food, people coming by and him saying, can you give me some money? And I don't know how it worked. I don't know if somebody every day took and carried him and put him on his mat and tried to work him closer and closer to the pool. But there's a place in there where it's important for you to not just read the story where it says, and there was a man that was, that, 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 um, was laying there that was crippled for 38 years and Jesus healed him. Don't read that. There was a man there that for 38 years somebody 
carried to that spot. There was a man that for 38 years did not move off that mat. There was a man for 38 years that did not get to binge on Netflix, did not order um, you know, the door dash, did not have somebody. He didn't have any of that. There was 38 years that he did not go on a picnic with a wife if he even had a wife. There was not 38 years of seeing his children and his grandchildren grow up. 38 years. Is anybody in this room 38 years old? We had one in the first service. No? All right, some of you people need to get to business and get some 38 years old saved so that I can, you know, tell stories and have somebody raise their stinking hand, okay? But listen, 38 years. Think about your personal life and and how old you are. You're like, you know, 36 years old, and it's like two years longer than I am alive right now. Or you're 40, and you're like two years less than I am right now. This guy laid on a mat, and Jesus said, you want to get well. And he started with the excuses, 38 years of hopelessness, 38 years of I can't get into the water, 38 years of who's going to help me, 38 years of who cares, 38 years of somebody wiping his bottom. We don't often think about what's really going on in the picture, do we? It's sanitized for our children for Sunday school. 38 years of somebody bringing him food. Even if somebody gave him money and he begged for it, he had to get somebody to go get it for him. He had to trust somebody with the money to go bring him some food back. 38 years of a mother caring for her child that had to be cared for because he was crippled and and she couldn't just lead him. So at her age, now she's the one caring for him. you got to think about it in terms of reality. This is not a golden book story. It's not Shel Silverstein trying to make a metaphorical point. It's the truth. And some of you have been there where for 38 years, Nothing got better for you. 38 years of hunger and disbelief. 38 years of hopelessness and drudgery, the drudgery of monotony. 38 years of we're putting the next load of laundry in. 38 years. You've been doing the same thing, taking kids to the drop-off line, picking kids up from the drop-off line, heading off to your job, watching everybody get promotions, coming home from your job, wondering why it never happens for you. 38 years, and then somebody walks in and says, I don't love you anymore, and walks out on you. 38 years of chasing a drug addict or somebody with with developmental issues and you have to be the caregiver, the brokenheartedness, living in the darkness and thinking God doesn't care because I have prayed for 38 years. 38 years. And right now I believe with all of my heart because I had to section this part out. This is not even what the sermon's about. Now, some of you is like, oh, great, we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. <laughs> no, you're not. But for 38 years, you can't believe that God wants to change your life. And this morning, God is saying, do you want to get well? Do you, you, not the crippled man. Today, he's saying, do you want to get well? But you can't bring yourself to believe that anything in your life will change. We'll never live in a different house than this. It'll never get better. Yeah, we might make more money, but the cost of living will go up faster than my, my raise. It's like, I, I don't know, Pastor Joe. You want to hope, 
But you can't make yourself make that jump because somebody else always gets it before you. Somebody else gets the job. Somebody else gets the promotion. Somebody else gets the husband. Somebody else gets the wife. Somebody else is raising your children. See, it happens every day. And I believe that the Lord is here speaking to you this morning. And he's saying, do you want to get well? And before you launch down your excuses about why there's no way I can go back to college, there's no way I can do this, there's no way I can change jobs at my age or at my gender or my whatever it is, I'm telling you, the Lord is saying, do you want to get well? Because a lot of times it really is a simple yes or no question. But then comes the point where he says, and this is the moment, the moment that you're living in, take up your mat, and walk. Do something about it. And you have to decide, can you take Jesus at his word? Can you trust him? Is there a place for hope in your existence and what you're going through? And do you believe, do you really believe what Jesus said? Now, as much as I've always stayed focused on this particular miracle and this particular story, that's not what this story is about. But I do believe that the Lord is asking you that question today. And I want you to keep it in mind if God's been speaking to your heart because he wants somebody to pray for you today when this sermon's over. But that is not what this story is about. That is not what John is writing as he tries to get you to believe. That's not even what it is. And I can show you what it is if you go to John chapter 5, verse 16, as it continues in the story because Jesus heals the man. He gets up like we can't believe and he starts following him around people's like what happened to you and he's like i got saved and jesus did it and then the scripture says so so because therefore but that thing you're supposed to sit on and not use as an excuse so because jesus was doing these things on the sabbath the Jews persecuted him. Do you see how John did that? Let me tell you a story about a miraculous healing, but because Jesus did that on the Sabbath, let me tell you what the real point is. They wanted to kill Jesus because he violated the Sabbath by healing a man. You notice John isn't going, whoa, I was there. I saw this thing. It was awesome. You guys should have seen this in reality. You should have seen it in color. If you know that country song love that one you should have seen it in color he doesn't he's like oh yeah jesus healed the guy and then let me tell you what happened then so because jesus healed him on the sabbath man now they want him persecuted they want him dead okay the jews persecuted him jesus said to them my father is always at his work to this very day and i too am working and for this reason the jews tried all the harder to kill him not only was he breaking the sabbath but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them his answer. And he said, I'm telling you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover... The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not honor the Son does not 
honor the Father who sent him. And so there's our picture. Jesus gets all the way down through this thing, tells us the story, and gets to the place where he says, so, and what he's saying is, here's this deal that Jesus raises a man miraculously that has been almost 40 years unable to do anything, been a drain on society's resources. He's been getting all the EBT, all the free food, all the free Medicaid, all the free medical, all the disability money. He's been getting it all. They heal him, and at 38 years of age, he gets up, and they're like, yep, that's the guy. And their problem is he did it on Sunday. That's your problem? Oh, God, that you would come down here and do that on Sunday. I would get off the stage, Lord. I would quit if you would do that every Sunday. I would. And they're worried that he did it on the Sabbath. Are you kidding? So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, he said, my father's always at work to this very day, and so I too am working. But it appears that John considers the miracle as normal. We need to get back to that. That the miracle was the normal part of this story. And that working on the Sabbath was the major incident, the episode. What do you think about working on Sunday? What do you think about working on the Sabbath? Well, Pastor Joe, uh, I just feel like if we would go back to, you know, keeping the Sabbath and, uh, and staying home on the Sabbath, that America will be great again. It will be good. The Lord said it will be, it will be good. It will solve all our problems. Because doesn't the fourth commandment say, um, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons nor your daughters nor your male servants nor your female servants nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Therefore, if we would keep the Sabbath day, it would solve all the problems in America today. I've seen that social media post. Um, it would, well, maybe not that. Maybe if we would keep the Sabbath and not keep divorcing our spouses. Oh, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Maybe if we would keep the Sabbath, not divorce our spouses, oh, and not get tattoo marks put upon us. Then America will be great. Oh, hold on, hold on, just a minute. No, maybe not that. Maybe if we, you see what goes on? Which one do you want to cling to? There's not just 10 commandments. There's 613 of them. Which one do you want to hang your hat on? Because let me tell you how serious God was about this Sabbath thing. In the book of Numbers chapter 15, it says, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, while they were lost and camping for 40 years, okay, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath. Those who found him gathering the wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, it's a brand new law, don't work on the Sabbath. So Moses evidently goes to the Lord, and the Lord says to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death and the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now listen, you might think that's a harsh punishment. You might think, well, that's too bad. God said, no, it doesn't matter. I'm just telling you, what I want you to focus on that is look how serious God takes this. 
Can you see how serious he is about this? Now, which one of the 613 commandments are we going to step into? Which one are the ones that we're supposed to keep? If we don't recognize that Jesus came to set us free from the law of sin and death, from the law of Moses. Which one? Because they got mad at Jesus for healing a guy on the Sabbath. And this guy got stoned for picking up sticks to make a fire. You guys know what a Sabbath switch is? Anybody check that out? There's a Sabbath switch on the back of your oven. What? Oh, there is not. Oh, there is so. If it's made within the last five or ten years, I I bet if you pull it out from the wall, some of you are like Googling it right now. I'm going to see if there's a Sabbath, Sabbath switch on my... It's like, put your phone away. You can check when you get home. Just pull your, pull your stove out from the wall and look on the back and see if there's a switch. It's one you never use. And you'll look and say, what is that there for? And you'll switch it and you'll never know. If I hadn't told you and given you this golden piece of information. If you flip that switch and then go to the front of your oven and open the oven door, the light won't come on. You know why? Because that light bulb coming on is striking a fire in your oven. Don't ask me how turning the oven on and getting the heating elements heated up isn't fire. But for whatever reason, it's in the law that if you open that door during the Sabbath and the light comes on, you have worked and you are, you are not any better than an infidel and a Gentile. And you're sitting there going, what are you talking about? About 15 years ago, my little sister called me because I'm a pastor and her brother. And she called me and said, let me ask you a question, pastoral question. I said, fire. I thought it was going to be something great and theological. She said, do you know what a, past, uh, a Sabbath switch is? I said, yes. She goes, you do not. I said, honey, I'm a professional. I know what a Sabbath switch is. She said, well, what is the Sabbath switch then? I said, it's a switch on the back of your oven that you can reach back there and flip so that when you open the front door of that thing on the Sabbath, that uh, the light won't come on. She said, you're right. She has never doubted me since. She, no, she has. She always does. But anyway, she said, you looked it up. I said, I did not. I know what it is. It, Jewish life and culture class, they told us back then it was some. But when they sell um, 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 appliances, look on the back of the appliance. There's a switch. It's a Sabbath switch. It makes the work stop. Okay, we can't be having light bulbs coming on on a Sabbath. It's work. Fire will fall from heaven. It's like, wow, okay, well, there you go. Because that's how serious these people believe that God takes this law. And so there we are, but praise God, he came, and we need to wrestle with the idea that he set us free from it. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God, and I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, and I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The law is just there to convict you of your need for grace and faith. That's its whole purpose. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anybody should boast, so that nobody can boast. It's a free gift. So what do you think about the Sabbath? You know, the Sabbath is not Sunday. You, you, you aware of that? Some of you have heard me say it over and over again, but you're still wondering why. The Sabbath, according to God's word, is Friday at 6 o'clock, 
till Saturday at 6 o'clock. Seventh-day Adventists are the ones that are getting that right. See? You wonder why they keep closing their shops on Saturday. They're like, man, if Chick-fil-A did that, we'd all starve to death. It's like, what on earth? But seriously. But seriously. And you and I have been set free from that law. And you say, wait a minute. Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, one person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And so there's your picture. Which one of the 613 commandments do you think, if we would just keep this one, then the world would be right again? Leviticus 19.28? Do not cut yourself for the dead or put tattoo marks upon your body. Oh, yeah, Pastor Joe, if we'd keep that one, we'd be good. Some of these kids running around look like coloring books. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I know what you're saying. (laughs) Intimately, I know what you're saying. I look like a coloring book when I don't have a blazer on. I'm I'm not trying to defend my position. I'm trying to explain it to you. Because I have heard people beat people to death with that particular passage. What about don't shave the hair right here for you men and let it grow down to here and then let it curl like this? Don't don't laugh. That's the law. It's Leviticus 19.27. I'm going to look that up right now. Get your cell phone out and check. You see, it set them apart from the rest of the world. They weren't allowed to trim the edges of their beards. So I failed already. They're not allowed to cut the hair on the side of their head. I have failed twice. And people are worried about my tattoo. (laughs) Come on. Have you been set free from the law of sin and death or not? I have yet to get tattooed for the dead, by the way. And I'm happy to have that discussion with you all day long. But you have to buy the coffee and it has to be at Purdy's. If you're watching online, that's 444 Big Hill Avenue, Richmond, Kentucky, 40475. Okay? That's the truth. I laugh a little bit, but we've, we've got two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The book of Romans, chapter 15, ends this way. It says, and what you believe about these things, keep to yourself. And it's speaking about the Sabbath, eating meat, and drinking wine. Whatever you believe about that, shut up and sit down. What? That's kind of strong language. That's the way Paul talked when he wrote. Peter says, but when you show up, he's not that tough at all. He's a bit of a sissy. That's what Peter says. Don't take my word, but that is my paraphrase. But Peter's that, you know, blunt about it. And there it is. So we ask ourselves, you know, what about the Sabbath? And here's the rub. Do you know what that means, here's the rub? Here's the rub. Did your grandpa ever said, no, well, that's where the rub comes in? And some of you are going... It was a little chigger, and he wasn't any bigger than the head of a very... Okay, that's not where that comes from, okay? That's where the rub can come in, but that's not where it comes from. This is where the rub comes in. Is pre, it predates Shakespeare. And it's a term that's used, its earliest reference of the rub, or and there's the rub, is a game of bowls. 
That's lawn bowling to you. Now, there's no pins, and so it's more like a game of bocce, if you know what bocce is. You put a little marker ball out there, and whoever gets their ball closest to it, and that's how you play, and it's called lawn bowling. But the rub is what happens when you bowl your ball, okay? And I saw a, like an 82-year-old woman walk up with a cane. I was watching a YouTube the other day. I do things like that when I'm getting ready for sermons. And she kind of walked up like this with her cane. She put her cane down, and she picked up her ball, and she went like that. And her ball went all the way across that line or that lawn and hooked around behind the little white marker ball. Nobody could hit her ball. And it was like, and she just like, okay, that's how it's done. And she got up and she went back. And these people were just like, what just happened? Okay, this is the rub. Here's where the rub comes in. Here's where the rub comes in. When your ball is going down there and all of a sudden there's a wet spot in the lawn and it causes your ball to, you know, go, that's the rub. When somebody, like, left a, a, a gum wrapper on the lawn and it hits that gum wrapper and goes the other way, that's called the rub, okay? And that's where the rub, now here's the rub right here. My ball hit that. You know, three weeks earlier, a girl walked through, one of her hair fell out, and the guy's like, it was the hair. It was the hair. I'm better than this. I should have won. You know, we argue about that. The point is, when something causes the ball, your momentum, to go a different direction, that's the rub. So here's the rub. There is no place in your Bible that God allows the Sabbath to be moved from Saturday to Sunday. So if anybody says to you, we need to keep the Sabbath, it's Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6. If they're not willing to do that, then they need to understand that their granny has never kept the Sabbath. In America, it's Sunday. Post-Jesus resurrection, it became Sunday simply because the Christian people that now believed in a risen Savior were not safe at the temple, in the temple courts out in front of the temple where people used to study and teach people. They weren't safe there on the Sabbath. They would get stoned, killed, or moved along. So what they did was they would meet together. Read your Bible. It's in the book of Acts. They met on the first day of the week in the temple court area. See? And it just by osmosis, moved to Sunday. And nobody ever questioned it. You know why? Because early Christians understood they were set free from the law of Moses. They weren't beholden to a religion because they had a relationship with the author who wrote the religion for them. He didn't create them for the religion. And so we understand that we've been set free from things even like the Sabbath. The rub is that the Sabbath is Friday at 6 till Saturday at 6. And we don't have permission to change it. But here's the deal. And when you say, when you say, well, hold on, Pastor Joe, but it's the, it's, you know, it's the intent. It's the intent. No. The intent of that man picking up sticks in the book of Numbers was to feed his family. And they stoned him to death because he didn't do it God's way. God is serious when he asks us to do something his way. You and I are set free from that law. So now we can live, but there's still something we need to be aware of. And that is that that law was given to us so that we could rest. Because we live a life, goodness sakes, come forward 2,000 years, 2,200 years, whatever it is. We live a life where we run 100 miles an hour, seven days a week, and about 18 hours a day. 
get up, get our kids on the bus at 7.30, get in the drop-off line at 2.45 a.m. so that we can be at the front of it, whatever it is. I've seen cars out there in my neighborhood, and I'm like, what are they doing here at 2 o'clock? They just need to be at the head of the line. And so then they're waiting, and then they're multitasking, and then they're figuring things out, and then they got to get them to the, their children to this event, and then to this event, and goodness sakes, and then you've got to binge watch their new series on Netflix, and you got to get off work, and you got to hurry up and make up some dinner as fast as you can, feed everybody, and then get the dishes washed, and then get everybody in their bath, and get it, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going. The NFL doesn't even do that. They practice all week without pads so that they can crash against each other in pads on Sunday. Violating the Sabbath in America. No, I'm just saying. Just saying. Because you weren't meant... Racehorses don't run races eight hours a day, seven days a week, so they can be ready for the race on their race day. They practice. Listen, you can't do everything. You can't be a part of everything. You can't go where everybody's going. But goodness sakes, you do need to take a break. And I need to give you a word that I believe is straight from God. And you're here. It's eight degrees outside or whatever the devil did this weekend to us. Okay? And I'm sick of it. And I've got seasonal depression right now. So I'm mad and I'm starting to come across that way. I get it tired of clouds. I'm tired of cold. And I need a rest. And if I need one, I know you do. So let me give you a word from the Lord. Serious. I'm not making fun. This is not a joke. Okay. You need a vacation. And you need to take it as soon as you can. Because you need to get away from everything that's demanding all of your time, the laundry, the diapers, making food, working your behind off, coming home, chasing kids to their sports events or their activity, whatever it is, you need to take a break because you're not taking a break. You get up on Saturday morning, you sleep all the way in until 8 o'clock, and then you go out and get on the lawnmower, and you're busting your tail to put the fence up, clean up the yard from the dogs, mow the lawn, uh, fix the car. Um, you know, you got to run off to, you know, Louisville to the archery or whatever, it is, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going. You're killing yourself. You are straight up killing yourself. And the Sabbath was given to you and I so that we would not do that. Go on a vacation in the next couple of weeks if you can work it out. You need a break. You really do. God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have life and have it to its parisos, to its fullest. John 10. 10. We're taking the godly thing that God gave us, our life, and we're beating it to death to try to get every ounce of everything out of it when what he wants us to get out of it is a, a joyful life. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we're not always experiencing that, are we? But it's a choice. You're going to need to say no. And you're going to need to stay home. John is trying you to get you to believe that in Jesus Christ, things are changing. God is not changing. 
but his yoke is easy and his burden is light because our bodies need a rest. Our physical bodies need a rest. You need to fast one day this week and give your body a rest, believe it or not. Your soul needs refreshing. You need to be encouraged, inspired. More than anything, you need to be surprised in awe of something, even if it's a little bird landing next to you on the hiking trail. You need to be in awe. And your emotions need a break from everybody coming at you. And God saw to that and wanted us to have rest. What about you? You're here today. You're on what Americans call the Sabbath because this is what we do. But are you going to rest? Are you going to rest? It's the busiest day of my life is each week. <laughs> but are you going to rest? I'm looking for a break. I'm going to escape for two or three days in the middle of the week because my soul needs peace. And that comes from getting alone with my father. My wife would be saying, like, come out to the beach. And I'd be saying, like, no. I'm going to sleep on this pillow for three days. I'm not leaving the room. Why did we come down here? So you could sleep on the beach and leave me alone. And I could sleep on a pillow for three days. That's how it works in my house. But you've got to change something to take a break. Somewhere in there, I know the Lord was speaking to you. And these people are up here because they want to pray for you. You need to rest. You need a rest from the kids yelling. You need a rest from the wife asking. You need a rest from the job demanding. You need a rest from the things that you are saying and doing to yourself. You need a rest. And these people want to pray for you about that. Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for your word that calls us to rest. We thank you that you were so serious about our rest that you caught our attention in that scripture from the numbers but God I also know that Jesus set us free so that we could rest so that we didn't have to go a hundred miles an hour killing ourselves and wondering why you're doing this to us when you're not you said rest teach us to rest God give us rest from divorce give us rest from rejection give us rest from our finances by providing too much Give us rest, God, from chasing our children. Give us rest from chasing our parents. Give us rest from fear, God. Give us rest from, from being alone and feeling like nobody cares. Give us rest, God, from being hungry. Feed us. Give us rest from wondering if you're there. Come be here, Holy Spirit. But we invite you to give us rest. In Jesus' name we pray.